Hi guys, welcome back to Brewing Bright Minds. Uh, I have Miss Dom here with our special guest, Miss Brooke. Hello. Miss Brooke is a amazing leader in the early childhood industry. She is a preschool teacher in the classroom, as well as an educator on the college level, university and junior college level in early childhood education. So she's on all fronts in the industry, which is so exciting. And we had a few questions for her today about professional development for teachers. Welcome, Ms. Brooke. Thank you. I'm excited to be back. Great, great. Um, so why professional development is Professional development is so important for any industry, but why do you think it is so important for early childhood educators? It's a great question. Um, I think professional development is important because the world is ever changing. ECE is always changing, um, especially after COVID, things have changed. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if you're not going to professional development or learning more, you might be stuck in your old ways or not knowing the new and up, up and coming information that is coming out. Um, so I think professional development pushes us to new limits, learn new things, try new things, hear from new people, different leaders in the fields, um, and be able to take it and implement it immediately mm -hmm. into your classroom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, Brooke, but in the early childhood field, teachers are required to continue with professional development every year, right? Yes. Yes, in the state of California, if you have a teacher permit, um, you are required to do hours of professional development. That's in person or online, um, but I think it's it's a good thing that they're required yeah, to absolutely. do. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Because um, like you said, it it, you, it keeps them up to date with yeah. different things. Yeah, and it lets them pick like, their passion. There's so right. many things you can go to professional development on, um, but I like to have my teachers pick, like, what are you passionate about? Are you passionate about science in the classroom or challenging behaviors with that group or potty training, um, letting them pick their interest and go to these classes and then bring it back to your school or your classroom. Great. And then um, what are, maybe feeling like a simple question, but where are resources and different areas that they could seek uh, professional development and in your experience, um, what is there one format that's better than others or is all, all is good, all is effective, all is productive? Well, I would say some is better than none, of mm -hmm. course. Um, I personally like to be hands-on learning in a classroom or at an in-person workshop mm -hmm. rather than online. However, as a teacher, you're tired. So from your bed at 7 p.m. at night mm -hmm. is totally okay mm -hmm. um, to do professional development as well. You can find workshops usually at your child's school um, or at your school as a teacher, or there's so many websites online. You can literally just do a simple Google search. Each um, location has different ones. Um, in California, it's broken up into different regions online that you can find workshops. Um, but there's just so many out there, local colleges. Um, just better to do some than none to just and be passionate about it. Pick mm -hmm. something you're passionate about and bring it back to the classroom immediately and mm -hmm. you'll get the most benefits from a professional development. And if you do it with a coworker on a Saturday, it makes it so much more fun too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, that sounds great. Um, what are areas that teachers need training in when transitioning from a teaching role in the classroom towards more of a leadership role? Yeah, I think 
A big one would be a leadership class, a mentoring, a supervision class. However, when it's a teacher going into a leadership role, I think, honestly, getting the experience hands-on of being that teacher in the classroom, that teacher who is stressed and understands, and then becoming that admin who doesn't forget about mm-hmm. the struggles in the mm-hmm. classroom mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. wants to provide the support. Like, your boots are on the ground. You learned the hard stuff so you can walk the walk now. You can now help your teachers, mm-hmm. um, which I think is something that a good leader does and a good director and a good assistant director mm-hmm. was there and understands mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where you've been. Yes, understands the limitations that could be posed in the classroom possibly and anticipating the needs of the teachers because like you said, they lived it. So what were areas that were so challenging for them mm-hmm. or what were areas where oh, I wish that you know I had this when I was in the classroom teaching and bringing all of that experience into now providing that for the new teachers in the classroom so that they don't necessarily have to live those growing pains and can achieve more. Yeah, absolutely. With support, I think you could do so much more. So I always like to put myself back in that perspective. Like what would I want from a director or what did I love that my director did that Mm -hmm. was able to support me in the classroom? Um, And then not forgetting that. And I think that is a big one because, yes, bringing your um, own personal experiences into the leadership role. But um, I think we do this at our school, Dom, always listening to the team mm-hmm. and um, hearing their needs firsthand yeah. and and moving on it quickly. Yeah, negative and positive. Even um, if it's something that's even like just a small little issue – addressing it and correcting it Mm -hmm. early so that it doesn't turn into a bigger one. Mm -hmm. And also just like you're saying, it's so important to have that classroom experience first so that you know where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. If a teacher came to me and said, I'm struggling with, you know, not taking, I'm not able to take my lunch at a decent time because Mm this transition and and this is challenging and me being able to say, I've been there. Mm -hmm. I understand what it's like. That's huge. That's what I would want. And so that's what I would want someone, you know, as a, as a teacher, a newer teacher, even, or even you coming in and saying, you're struggling there. Let me come in for 10 minutes and help you pat some backs, you know, like being willing to do that. Or even just the communication of like listening to somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes teachers just literally need someone to hear them, not really yeah. give them any feedback, but mm-hmm. just hear like the day-to-day struggles, which yeah. I think if you guys are doing that, that sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think I did like how you had mentioned that there are the, there's the professional development courses, there's college courses, but the hands-on experience is really, in my opinion, the most important because, you know, you learn from mistakes or you learn from what you've seen mm-hmm. that you didn't like or what you did like in different areas, in different schools. And it's so important to have that firsthand experience. Yes, and I think a lot of young uh, teachers who are excited about the industry and are like, this is my calling, this is what I want to do, and they are so into the studying aspect of it and they have all the theory and principles down. But then when you're in the thick of it, uh, it's a whole different story. It's very hard to apply your knowledge in the moment when 
it's pure chaos mm-hmm. at oh, times. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, so yeah. it also takes a certain type of disposition from a person to be able to handle all that, all those multiple, you know, factors and then ultimately be effective in your instruction. Yeah. And so hands-on experience mm-hmm. is huge because you have it played through in your mind one way, but obviously it's not going to be exactly that way. And so doing it day in and day out and trying again and trying again and fine-tuning it and seeing what worked today might not work tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And then this worked in this sense for this kid but doesn't work for this child. And so how do you have a balance of all that and taking all that into consideration um, while in the classroom, but also taking all the valuable principles that you've learned, all your studies into practice? You mentioned earlier that following your passion in professional development is important because there's things like challenging behaviors Mm -hmm. or... Um, potty training, different things. And I think something that is huge in the early childhood field, one of the most important things is early early intervention and developmental delays and how to teach children with special needs, how to catch special needs early on, early on, Mm -hmm. and how to provide early intervention, you know, in your classroom and outside. Um, So with that being said, over the years, in your experience, what kind of developmental delays have you seen, have you had in your classroom, and how have you incorporated that into your daily classroom structure? Yeah, I love this question. I'm very passionate about early intervention and children with disabilities and everything that goes with that. Um, I've had kids with speech delays, motor delays, sensory processing delays, and children that are on the spectrum. So the child that had a motor delay, um, they had a harder time walking or running. Um, The parent knew when they brought them to me in the center about this already. So it was my job to work with physical therapy Mm -hmm. um, and provide an environment and opportunities for them to thrive. So Mm -hmm. with that, I would scaffold their gross motor activities outside to make sure it was still safe for them, but they Mm -hmm. still had the same activity as the other child. That's a big one in infancy. Um, Mm -hmm. Just because, you know, that's when they start sitting up, crawling, walking. Um, And if you see a delay in crawling, you, like you said, working with physical therapist or occupational therapist, how can the teacher promote crawling in the Mm -hmm. classroom? Mm -hmm. Even if the other babies in the classroom are crawling, but you have one who's the same age, who's not, how do you help promote that? Yeah, that's a big one for sure at that age that you would catch Mm -hmm. as an ECE teacher. Um, We're like the first line of defense. Often parents, it's their first child, Mm -hmm. and they don't know what what is normal, what is not normal. Mm -hmm. Are they going to catch up to my other child? We don't Mm want to compare Mm -hmm. kids. Mm -hmm. Um, However, there is milestones that we do want them to hit at a certain age. So with motor, that's what I've seen with that. Um, With speech delays, just children who came into school with no words. Which sometimes is, is it because they're shy? Is it because their sibling or parent talks for them? Or is this a real delay that mm-hmm. is a concern? Mm-hmm. Um, those are all split decision that we're making and at all so the time. And so at what age then, around what age should we generally be expecting words to be starting to form and that higher level of communication to be taking place? 
Yeah, at 18 months, I mean, we'd like to see 100 words mm-hmm. around that. Mm-hmm. CDC has just changed that, but yes. around that, we'd want to see. Um, however, it could be less, it could be more, mm-hmm. um, but you want to hear something at 18 months. Um, that it day. is, yeah, and it is important to note that um, they don't have to be saying the full word, mm-hmm. saying things like b for ball yes, mm-hmm. and pointing at ball or mm-hmm. ma for mom. Um, those are considered words, but yeah. like you're saying, they should, an 18 month old should be saying at least a hundred yeah. words. Yeah, yes. absolutely. And mm-hmm. after COVID, I'd go more towards 50 to a hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen a big speech delay with children after COVID, um, which is concerning. So I still have children now in pre-K that are behind in speech. Mm-hmm. In that, pre-K, what ages do you have? Um, four to five. Okay. So they're still needing speech services mm-hmm. at that age, which is totally fine as long as they're receiving services so they can catch up. Um, but I've seen a lot more speech delay. In our toddler classroom after COVID, we re- reopened in 2021. Um, out of 15 kids, probably 11 were speech delayed. Wow. Oh, wow. That's a big number. We've wow. never seen that before. Yeah. Wow. I think we experienced that as well yeah. in our classroom. But that that's... It's also even just being in the field pre Mm -hmm. and post COVID, Mm -hmm. any, any early childhood professional can account to this that, I mean, I used to have infants of 11, 12 months old who were talking in full sentences and now you don't hear full sentences until two plus. I mean, even two and a half, three is when you're starting to hear Mm -hmm. full sentences. It's pretty pretty crazy it is and so that's something for parents to consider that um if you know that around you know a year 18 months that you should see a lot more progress in your child in terms of attempts at communication and like dom said if the words are not completely there but they are trying to tell Mm -hmm. you something and communicate something then keeping that in mind like hmm my child is not quite there I should be really reading to them more, singing to them more, taking them to the park to socialize with others more, and just providing more opportunities to have prompting that speech. Um, And it can be frustrating. It can be very frustrating. And catching it early, too, because the earlier you catch Mm -hmm. it, the easier it's going to be for your child to overcome. Mm -hmm. Um, I have had students in the past who, at the toddler age, parents have caught a speech delay at, you know, 17, 18 months and they caught it fast. And, you know, by three years old, they Mm -hmm. were talking in full sentences as if they never had a speech delay. Mm -hmm. And that could be the same for motor delays and for sensory Mm -hmm. processing. Like you were saying, the earlier you catch it, the the easier, easier it's going to be on the child and the family really. And the teachers and just everyone involved to move on as if it, you know, never happened. And it's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Yes, because for parents to know, this is for parents to know, if they catch it earlier on, and this is for anyone at any age, the sooner you catch it, that gap that you have, that you have to close, Mm -hmm. is smaller. Yeah. So when you start it younger, there's only so much that they have to capture. So the sooner you are... Um, being proactive in that sense, the more successful you can mm-hmm. be. And the kids learn faster, yeah. too. They learn yeah. much faster if you start earlier. And so just if you have an inkling, you know, that something is a little bit off or you just want to promote certain areas more, it doesn't hurt. It never hurts to just 
seek an evaluation yeah. or seek a consultation just to see, hmm, is my child right where? Or ask your teacher. Ask your teacher, yeah. I'm observing this. Do you see this at school? Do you have any concern? Um, but you know as a parent if if it raises any flags and just go seek those resources so that um, you'd rather do it now than later. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Ms. Brooke, for joining us today. Uh, your insight has been so amazing to have. And I think it's so helpful for all yeah. of our families to also learn. Uh, we hope to see you again sometime soon. Thanks so much for having me and letting me share some of my biggest passions. I appreciate it. And I hope everyone learned something today. Thanks, Brooke.